Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome back to another episode of Asian Not Asian Podcast, the podcast where two Asian guys not from Asia talk about American issues no American cares about. I am your host, Fumi Abe. And I'm Mike Nguyen. Today is March 6th, coming at you live from Brooklyn, New York. If you're listening to this on your uh, phones right now, please take a screenshot, post it on your Instagram stories, tag us at Asian Not Asian Pod, and we will regram it, and you'll be famous because we have 12,000 followers, and that's a lot. That's a lot for my life. Um, hey, that's a lot for, for two Asian dudes, you know? That's so. what I'm saying. Two straight Asian guys. That's that's, that's a big accomplishment. Um, yep. And if you're an uh, Apple podcast listener, please leave, leave a review. That's super important. And uh, before we get into the story of the week, just want to give a quick shout out to our newest Patreon um, members. If you join our Patreon, we give you a shout out on the podcast. So our three newest uh, members of this week, we got Stephen Chowporn, C-H-A-W-P-O-R-N. That... that- that's a that's a that's a shortened Thai name, I think. That's a that's shortened a tr- Thai name. Yes, yes. Right. Chow porn. Yes, Stephen, right. we got you. We got you. Then we got yes. Calvin Prashad. P R A S H A D. Uh huh. Prashad. I want to say not only that this person is. I think this person is South Asian, and then South South Asian. I recently learned that sometimes South Asian people have. Uh, white sounding names if they're from South South Asia. Oh, this is just okay. something I just learned. Oh, wait, you're talking about like people from like Sri Lanka or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, some yeah, sort yeah. of Christian thing going on back there. So sometimes okay. they got like names like that. Okay. So, Calvin, it's, you are from so Sri shouts Lanka. To Christianity. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a friend in high school. He was from Sri Lanka and his name was like, her last, his last name was like Fernando or something. So something yes, happened there, there. Something happened there with hey, the Spanish people. Hey, something not, I'm not something thinking not something good, good either. <laughs> something <laughs> it was bad. not good. Something um, bad happened. And, <laughs> and lastly, we have John Han, H-A-N, which I think Han. is a Chinese name. That's a Chinese you think guy. it's Chinese? I might be Korean. Is it Korean? I don't know. You know how they have Han? Oh, but we know Misha Han. He's Chinese. Oh, oh maybe word. he's half Korean. Okay. Shit, I don't Is know. He? Anyways, I mean, by the way, Misha. if you if you donate to our Patreon, we try to guess your ethnicity based on your last name. Very racist game, yeah, the, but we we're like, not just trying is, to be rude. Yeah, yeah, this is just how we are. It's a game that we play, and it's it's, it's very a game. Pro- it's a very problematic. But this is how we start the podcast. Um, let's get to the story of the week, man. Let's get to the story of the week. Yeah, man. Um, I was so we've been doing Clubhouse, right? Uh, oh, so yeah. if if you guys uh, don't know what Clubhouse is, it's like this new social media thing, and it's essentially a conference call. Uh, which I think is <laughs> hilarious. It's just a conference call that pe- that that you can start. You follow different people and do those different things. People got all into it because like, you know, the Bitcoin folks are into it. And uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Elon Musk is kind of getting into it. But there's right, all right, these different right. like clubhouse rooms and, and people can start a room for whatever reason. Fumi and I, we started one about just like Asian dating. I was on a clubhouse recently where um, I met some... So we have Antre Tran, who's a comedian. He's also been on the podcast. And he like kind of knows some Vietnamese people. He's like, there's some Vietnamese like comedians he's like tied into. And they invited me into like a Vietnamese 
like trash talk room where it was okay. just like you can go in there and it was like vietnamese roasting and it was really funny the word for roasting we don't have a word for roasting in vietnamese so it was like the, the literal translation was like vietnamese grilling which is delicious <laughs> but they had that and we they brought us they brought me in there and it was cool everybody's very young everybody's very nice but my vietnamese is essentially zero it's oh they're, like, ro- they're roasting even... in vietnamese yes but like oh. you know yeah they're like roasting each other hey man you know you like are and i i again because my vietnamese is very poor like i didn't really know what they were saying i mean you can yeah. tell when someone's talking shit but i didn't really know and i was sitting there listening to all these people and everybody is 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 nice and and pretty young i would say you know it's just social media so it's like everybody's like late 20s or some of that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it was so weird being in that room because and you always talk about having a ratatouille moment of like remembering something i don't know traumatic from your past yeah a ratatouille flashback yeah a ratatouille (laughs) flashback of being in a room with vietnamese people talking shit (laughs) you know (laughs) about you and me well, that's the thing. Because I don't speak Vietnamese, I don't know if they're talking shit. I, who you, who I, are these Are these your cousins? Like, who are these random Vietnamese people talking shit man, about you? Vietnamese people, we just love getting together and eating egg rolls and talking shit. Okay? We just... Like, I would go... When I was a kid, we would go to each other's... We, we would have a family... A Vietnamese gathering. Vietnamese gatherings are always like... There's a fuck ton of food in silver uh, takeaway trays. Like, g- big giant buffet trays. There's um, a lot of Sprite. Sometimes <laughs> there's liquor if you're into li- drinking. And then there's a lot of just sitting around and like just gossiping, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I would be sitting there as a kid and I didn't really speak Vietnamese. And then like wind would, ca- ca- like people would catch on that I don't speak Vietnamese. And my, and then like sometimes they would make me say something in Vietnamese, but they were like, ha ha, you sound like a GI. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, that's, this is so traumatic <laughs> what, for me. What a roast. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, so it was just like this kind of feeling. And again, nobody was talking, really talking shit about me on Clubhouse, but it was just like the feeling of like being in a room, not knowing what's going on and like kind of knowing, but not really knowing. You know, I don't know if you've yeah, ever gotten that it, sense. It, that, you know? it, that, it's a complex feeling because, um, I mean, I, I speak japanese but like there are a lot of like i, I don't I, I couldn't talk about politics in japanese but like it, right. there is a what i feel like that's like a very immigrant specific thing because there is like a certain level of betrayal that like only diaspora yes. people can experience <laughs> and it's from their people who look like you talking language yes. you're supposed to speak but you really can't and they're laughing because you don't know it but you know you, you had that joke a long time ago that's like for a lot of diaspora people um english is our second language but it's also our only language you know right exactly it's, it's like that exactly. where it's like yeah it's definitely like it, I, I think it definitely hurts extra because it's like oh no you're my family like you're supposed to have my back like because when i go to school you know those kids pick those kids pick on me so when i come home and i'm like eating fucking uh, these these spring rolls off these silver trays like you're supposed to welcome me and here they are <laughs> roasting your vietnamese so I, t- I totally feel that man i mean we've talked about it a thousand times i think that's why a lot of second generation Asian American people are shy and like they don't not not shy but like they they're not they don't feel super confident in their language skills even if it's confident even if it's okay they don't feel confident because somebody made fun of them a family member made fun of them for it when they're younger and that like sticks with them forever you know 100 percent. so like that was that was always I'm always afraid of like if I were at a Vietnamese restaurant and I would order like you know if I if I ever am in a Vietnamese restaurant and I order something you know oh I like some pho or something like that and all of a sudden my aunt pops out from behind a tree and is like oh you sound like a GI ah and that's what I don't want and I'm just like oh it hurts 
so Your i wanted to that's tight yeah yeah i wanted <laughs> i wanted to shout to Ling. i wanted to uh talk about that and that's like sort of the thing about our podcast um you know today we're asking is feeling totally lost all the time asian or not asian and the guest we have today is i i like hey, hey. woke up early today was doing push-ups and stuff. I was like, this is the day, man. We've been waiting for so long. <laughs> like, this is the it. Rocky moment. You're like chugging I was like, raw I was like, eggs. You know? I, was, I, was, I was like chugging jump, eggs and stuff like that. And dude, man, wearing my conical hat. I was like, I'm so excited. Our guest today. And I, 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 okay. Usually the guests we have on this pod, which we love. We love all our podcasts. But usually the guest on this pod is like, this guy played like the third waiter in the 26th season of, you know, uh, Doctor two, Who, two guys in a pizza place, you know, and and this is like great, you know, or you've seen this guy's butt on Insecure, you know, like okay, fine, you know. <laughs> Our guest today is uh, the Errol Arnold Chair of English and, profe- <laughs> and Professor of English American Studies and Ethnicity and Comparative Literature at USC. <laughs> I did that terrible. He's an author. He's a MacArthur Genius Grant winner. He's mm. the winner of the Nobel of the Nobel. Sorry. He's the winner of the Pulitzer Prize for his debut novel, The Sympathizer. He now hey. has a new book out, a sequel to The Sympathizer called The Committed, which came out this week. I'm blown away that is here, that he is here. He is on a podcast. This is a podcast where me and Fumi once discussed the merits of peeing over the band or mm-hmm. through the hole in men's underwear. And that was this the whole is the episode. kind of podcast we're on. And we're now, I can see that our guest is thinking about this. <laughs> Please help me welcome Viet Thanh Nguyen. Hey! Yay! Hey! View me and Mike, so good to be here. You know, I'm grading you guys right now. <laughs> oh, God. I'm evaluating you. Just to make you feel oh, more no. inadequate, if at all possible. Oh, oh Jesus, I knew it. I'm a college professor. I see, I see, you know, guys who look like you all the time. <laughs> I don't know how old you are. You could be 18 or 40, I don't know, but you know, college students. You, you look like college students, basically. Well, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty we're, old, but yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. You, although you're very close, it's freaky. Um, okay, so I guess the first question: uh, Are you an over or through the through the through the underwear guy? Do you know what mm-hmm, we're talking mm-hmm. about? Over the yeah, band I, or I, through? I, 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 I do know what you're talking about, and I'm not going to answer the question. I don't think you know. You, know, you don't have to go there. <laughs> I told you have this you, isn't going to be. Have you have you done the question? Do you do you do it standing up or sitting down? That's oh, we did. Question. We did do we that. Did that. We did do that. We did, that. We did do yeah. that. And I, what did we? What did we decide, Fumi? Well, I I used to stand, but now I sit because I like to be clean. When you sit, it's more for accuracy. It's more considerate if you live with women, especially. It's much much more considerate. Yes. Yeah. And if Word. you have kids, if you have kids, you better teach them to sit because otherwise you're cleaning up after them. Oh. You're teaching. You're teaching your kids to sit like already at this age. Like so, they're no, gonna go to school. Yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I'm. I'm gonna do it though because the the kid has bad aim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the bad aim. Look at us um, getting a Pulitzer uh, Pulitzer Prize winner to talk about pee already. Jesus, I, I just love it. Not mine, but my son's. You have to have certain <laughs> limits. Um, we're so excited to have you on here, and I did want to ask, you know. Why are you doing this podcast? Because I was doing research and usually your talks are like, you know, it's Viet Thanh Nguyen and he's at Harvard and he's at Yale and he's at Google. And now you're on this podcast trapped with us for the next hour. Who talked you into doing this? Did someone did someone on TikTok dare you or something like that? I think you emailed me like 20 times if I remember. Oh my God, right. I did. So yes. that was that part of that. So I was like, yeah, how do I get this guy to stop emailing me all the time? <laughs> 
And then I, I also, you know, I believe in the people. I'm an Asian American, grew up with Asian American studies, Asian American movement. Got to be down for wherever the people are at. And now it's podcast and clubhouse, apparently. It is. It That's is. true. Get I mean, hey, that, yeah. it, it's not to say we, we've got we've got listeners via. This is not a complete waste of your time, but but it it's is not. an interesting. It is an interesting career choice. Is all we're saying. Um, oh, I would also well, just. Uh, yeah. Yes. Also, I would let, I would just like. Are to, you actually making me reconsider this? You're making me reconsider <laughs> this. At this point. <laughs> well, I just want to. You know, we're, we're so honored you're here. You are. We're 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 fangirls of yours, and uh, I just you know you you said you were grading us earlier. Well, we are terrible students. We 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 are not. We don't believe in the institution. We we don't like school. Um, in fact, but you're you're a very special person to me because if if you know the podcast, hey, you know that I used to not read, but but I picked up the sympathizer. At 27 or 28, and I started reading when I was 28. So started thank reading. you, Professor Viet, for introducing me to books yeah. in 2018. to the sympathizer exactly. for him. Exactly. Wow, that, yeah, that's, that's quite, a big, quite a big leap. Now, did you, <laughs> did you borrow it from the library or did you buy it? My uh, girlfriend at the time had it, and Mike had been talking about <laughs> Mike had been talking about it for a long time. Also, two reasons: Mike had been talking about it for a long time how cool it is, and I just saw it one day, and I was like, maybe I'll give it a try. Also, as I was reading it, it, this is so crazy. The Sympathizer is one of those books where if you're reading it on the subway in New York City, you will get people to give you a little head nod because they're just yes. like, hell yeah, dude! It's I swear to God, it's the only I've only read two books, The Giver and this. But I swear to God, nobody was giving me head nods when I was reading The Giver on the train. So it's 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 a great book if you want to make some new friends as well. I've been on the New York subway. I've never seen my book on the New York subway. I've never seen my book anywhere. Never seen anybody really? reading my book. Really? Yeah, so thank you for for, for, for mentioning that. Yeah. That's great. You're on the wrong train. You gotta you gotta go you gotta where the hot people are. The L train. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, where it yeah, is. Hang I, on, I, yeah, hang I, on the, I, on the G. Yeah. No, I, I see other people's books. Like the last time I was on the New York subway, I saw someone reading Min Jin Lee's Pachinko, which is a great novel. That's a great mm. book. We've so had her on the show, books, yeah, but not mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she's your rival. Right train. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on the right, right train. She's great. <laughs> no, no, of course we've had her. We've had her on the show. She's she's amazing. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I there's so many things. I guess the first question I wanted to say, and this is something I, I've noticed, because a lot of artists think they're funny. But I've, you know, I've watched you on a bunch of things. You were on Seth Meyers, um, you know, this is, this is back with, with the sympathizer, but you're like actually funny. I mean, you know, and, and your writing is funny. Do you ever think, did, did you ever want to do comedy? Would you ever, did you ever think about that? Cause you have like some, I would say chops, uh, you know, in the industry biz. I don't know if you. If you've ever thought about I, that, did you ever think about that? I have never wanted to do comedy because if you oh. put me on a comedy stage, I'd bomb completely. But you know, like no one, no one before the sympathizer, none of my friends would ever have said Viet's a funny guy. Never, 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 never. So really? I learned something in writing that novel. I tapped into the inner comedian somewhere within within me. But uh, you know, it, it, some of the best public speakers out there are comedians. You know, people like Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle. I've certainly watched all their stuff, and I've learned from what they've done. So I try to put uh, you know, just a little one percent of what they have into into my talks when I go public. Well, I mean, so wait, so you were saying you you tapped into something when you were writing the sympathizer, and you, and you you came across some funny. I mean, like, did did you did you mean for it to be funny when you were writing it? And in well, your writing, to be did, funny. You to be funny? Yeah, okay. I wanted, yeah, I wanted it to be funny, but I didn't know if I could do it or not. You know, mm. so I like I, I like I love funny novels and things like Catch Twenty Two. That was always an ambition, but it's like, how do you learn how to do that? I don't know. I just I just tried put 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 funny situations into the novel, 
Right. And uh, they, I, I mean, apparently they are funny. People tell me that they laugh when they read The Sympathizer. Well, that's an interesting point because, um, you know, sometimes I feel like one of the topics we talk on this podcast sometimes or in general is like, can Asian people be funny? Because and I know that sounds like a ridiculous question, but sometimes I feel like sometimes I feel like the society doesn't allow us to be goofy. Like even if you're funny, they're like you're not supposed to be. And you know, you've made sort of a, a career talking a lot about you know the the Vietnamese diaspora experience and the Vietnam War um, and, and colonization and like you know specifically the, your your three books. Um, which I've also I've also read the refugee fangirl. What's good, you know that th- that your three books that you have around right now. That that's kind of what it's about. And sometimes when you can tap into like the thing that you could talk about for hours, that's where you find your humor. You know, it's like you. I think as P- Asian Americans, we watch people like Dave Chappelle, and we go, "Well, I want to try to do that." Well, you can't because you're not a black man. You know, like you have to find like Asian people have to find what's funny and goofy about their own communities and their own culture and you know hey maybe maybe that's why the sympathizer ended up being funny even though your friends didn't think you were funny because that's like the thing that you can talk about for hours you know what i'm saying i think what you got to do is you got to be honest about stuff Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so i think maybe one reason why like maybe a lot of some asian american comedians or whatever aren't funny is they tell stupid jokes maybe you know there's only so much you can say about (laughs) your your family and your accent and all of that it gets tiresome after a while you know but like you, okay, let go back to Dave Chappelle, for example, like I watched his debut show uh, like a few months ago and he was talking about like uh, black, basically he was talking about Black Lives Matter 10 or 15 years before it actually happened, being right. pulled over by the cops for marijuana possession, being afraid of getting shot, but he turned it into jokes, right? But he was touching directly on like a real vein of black experience. So I don't know, I'm not going to say anything about that, but in in this context, like, you know, the, some of the stuff that you guys have already mentioned, you know, about, hey, why do Sri Lankans have Christian names? Well, some bad stuff happened. Go there. That's where you yes. got to go mm-hmm. to your own history. And, and you know, you I, mean, I think the, the most powerful comedy is like when you take something that's painful and you can talk about it in ways that are funny because there is some humor there. I definitely I feel you. And I, I feel like there's like a rich vein of stuff. I just started writing jokes. I can't even believe that I'm saying this. I've started writing jokes about the Vietnam War, which doesn't make sense. But to me, there's just there's something so ridiculous about being Vietnamese. We're a Southeast Asian people that were dominated by the Chinese. And now we drink coffee and people love our sandwiches. You just say those things out loud. And those are true. And they're ridiculous at the same time. I I don't know if you ever reflect on like how ludicrous the history of of us is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The fact that your aunt jumps out and says, you talk like a GI. I mean, that is speaking directly to this history of American soldiers being in the country and doing all kinds of of bad, good stuff, maybe, but also a lot of bad stuff, too. And go there. You got to talk about that. You got to talk about being invaded by Americans, you know, and you'll push some buttons and there'll be a lot of Vietnamese people like, you can't say that. You can't say we've been invaded by Americans. They were there to help us. Well, that's exactly the problem where the jokes are going to come from. You know, shifting it to you, when you were, you know, writing, and, and I know that you uh, had written the stories for the refugees like, a, you know, a while back, and then you started writing The Sympathizer, and then, you know, you, you've been sort of curating or developing this voice. What was it like when you were first writing these stories and then having people go, oh, you know, I don't know if people are going to listen to this. I mean, I know, for example, your, your, um, your thesis advisor kind of advised you not to, ri- not to write about Vietnamese uh, literature or Vietnamese American literature. 
did you did you ever think okay well maybe i need to stay broad or i need to kind of go where people are going to be able to understand me or did you did you did you think oh no i, I really do need to talk about this thing that no one hasn't has talked before about before yeah i mean like I don't think there's any difference between being a writer and being a comedian in the sense of that honesty issue. Like, what do you care about? What do you care about the most? And -hmm. if what you care about the most is not what your manager or your professor or or your audience is telling you that they care about, well, fuck, you know, (laughs) yeah, I literally, you just have to not care what people are telling you about. You have to make people care what you care about. Mm. That's not an easy thing to do, you know? So writing the refugees, the, took me 20 years which is sort of like the experience i'm sure of comedians who are going up on stage and telling jokes and bombing and no one's laughing and except you know as a writer you do it in private you just sit in your room and <laughs> right. you do it you uh, bomb in your room but you have to you know you have to persist and it's a kind of a lonely endeavor especially if you're the first person or one of the first people going out saying what what you believe in uh, and I, th- I always had to believe that that there were people out there who who were thinking like me, but uh, our voices weren't being heard. And, you know, it's a catch 22 chicken and egg problem. Like right. you, you believe that your story is important. You believe that other people believe the story is important, but the outside world hasn't gotten to that point yet. And so the outside world is saying, well, we never heard about you or we never heard about your experience. So why should we pay attention? So. In, in many ways, when you're the first or one of the first, you also have to create your own audience mm. as well. Mm, but you have to mm, believe mm. that there's already that potential audience out there. Uh, and that, that was that, I thought that was the, situ- the situation that I was in. Yeah, I mean, we only asked that because, you know, I mean, this happens every other month. But like recently, like somebody, we hear this all the time when people are like, well, you, get, you should change your name of the podcast because it's like, who is this relatable to? Like you have Asian in there. Like that's going to scare off people. It's going to scare off white people or whatever. And I was just wondering because you've, you've only, not only, but like, you know, your three biggest books are like kind of about the Vietnam War. I'm wondering, did other, other authors ever say stuff like that to you? And like, does that, did that hurt you? Because I think in comedy, like, even if you don't believe it, when you hear it, it does hurt and it does make you, kind of question like oh fuck maybe i should just step away from this thing that i really care about because nobody cares like you know i, I see what you're saying about like you have to not care but i'm wondering if there was a young Vietnam Nguyen who was you know an experienced writer but maybe didn't have the publishing deals or whatever it is and like and when, when publishers would say stuff like that to you like did that hurt or if, if they maybe maybe yeah. they didn't no if maybe people didn't say that to you i don't know no no i mean absolutely it's, it's true in every field you know i i, I was reading uh rereading Kathy Park Hong's Minor Feelings. I don't know if you guys have read that book, but it's uh, perfect for your podcast. So try to get Kathy on board. But huh. you know, one of the one of the things she talks about about Asian American feelings and feeling invisible and, and unheard and all of that kind of thing. And feeling like if you're Asian American, you have to speak to white people. It's really mm-hmm. debilitating. And of course, as an aspiring writer during those 20 years that I was trying to write the refugees, of course I was I was trying to be a writer, but I was also worrying about whether agents or editors or publishers are going to be interested in publishing this book. And and when I say agents or editors or publishers, of course, I mean white people because that's mostly yep. what they are. Right, right. Um, so Kathy, in Minor Feelings, she also brings up, by the way, um, Richard Pryor as a model for her, as an Asian woman modeling herself on this black male comedian. And she recounts one, the, the turning point in Richard Pryor's career where, you know, he was sort of like um, a very safe comedian early in his career. And then he was invited to Las Vegas and stood in front of this, this all white audience and he just basically said, what am I doing here? And he walked off the stage and then he became Richard Pryor. 
because then he's trying to talk about the things that we now remember uh, Richard Pryor for. And I think that's exactly what every artist goes through. You have, you have a moment where you're confronted with that situation and you have to be defiant. You have to say, uh, you know, the hell with you. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care if you're saying that Asians are not good enough or no one cares about Asians. And I don't care that you have the power to make me a star. I mean, mm-hmm. I had that experience in a, in a more minor way when I uh, wrote The Sympathizer and we sent it out to publishers. It got rejected by 13 out of 14 publishers. And one of the uh, editors who rejected the book, I had a conversation with him for an hour and I knew he was very powerful and very famous for an editor. His writers had won two Pulitzer Prizes and I knew he could give six figure advances. And he said, I like the book, but I think you should make these two major changes to the book. I basically said, I don't want to make these two major changes to the book. And he didn't, he did not make an offer on the book. And then like a month later, I found out he gave a first time author, a woman of color, a, a million dollar advance. Oh, I shit. Like, if I'd known that, maybe I would have changed it. <laughs> maybe I would have You know, hold on here. Let's talk. Hold on. Let's, 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 we can, oh, we can negotiate anything. I, 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 you don't have to tell me, but I would love it if one of the changes was um, make everybody from South Dakota. That's, that's the change. That's the first one. And the second one, uh, we have to lose the Vietnamese thing. Um, I mean, um, I mean, have you been surprised about, because I think you're totally right about, you know, finding your audience. And for us, it's, you know, our audience is a lot of Asian Americans, but it's also not. It's a lot of, it's all kinds of different people. We have all sorts of different folks, um, you know, messaging us and then saying they identify with some of the crap we say. I mean, are there people you're surprised that you're like, oh, I, I, would, I didn't know I would connect with uh, this, this kind of person? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, well. First of all, okay, the sympathizer sold around a million copies worldwide. So that's a lot of people. Hey, yeah. uh, maybe they, maybe maybe they, maybe they didn't all read it. Maybe they just bought it and it's on a bookshelf somewhere or whatever. But you know, a lot of people <laughs> read it all over the world in in like uh, I don't know twenty five thirty uh, languages or countries. So yeah. I'll, I'll give you. I'll tell you one story. I went to Italy. Uh, the the book has done well in Italy. Gave mm. a talk there, uh, and then as I I came out came down off the stage, this woman approached me. And she was very emotional. And she said, you know, your book, The Sympathizer in Italian, was the last book my, my husband read before he died. You know, and, uh, you know, he was really moved by this, by this book. And uh, she became a reader of my work. And she just, uh, you know, emailed me this morning, you know, saying, oh, I'm, I'm thrilled about the, the Committed coming out in Italian. It's out in Italian right now. Mm-hmm. So there are, all these, there are all these kinds of connections with, with totally unexpected people from very different kinds of backgrounds. Um, you know, get messages from from people who from Australia, from from India, many different places, and that that affirms for me this idea that even though I've made a career, as you've said, by being a professional Vietnamese, you know, talking a lot about uh, it's fucking you know, awesome. You're not it's just really Vietnamese; cool. you're a professional Vietnamese. Yeah, <laughs> yes, there, there's gradations. You know, you can be amateur Vietnamese, you can be professional Vietnamese, and all of that. And that's a whole other topic that we can talk about the complications of doing this. But, but uh, what, what's important here is that I I think I've been unapologetic about writing about the Vietnam War, about Vietnamese mm-hmm. people, Vietnamese Americans, with the belief that our experiences matter. Not just to us, but to everybody, if we can mm. do a good enough job talking about our experiences. 
Uh, and again, I'm just going to beat on Jonathan Franzen. He's just like my my straw man for anybody who's a white author. Like, who, oh, very why, white. Why, why, yep. why, why, yeah, why should anybody care about St. Louis or the Midwest or sandwiches right. or whatever? Uh, but <laughs> I don't question that. You know, he's a right. good writer. And and why shouldn't I read Jonathan Franzen, even if I've never been to St. Louis or right. really spent much time in the Midwest? And, and vice versa. Why shouldn't people like Jonathan Franzen read my books? That's the belief I have to have. And, you know, part of the belief is that, you know, going back to this idea of, of the, of, you know, the war or the refugee experience or Vietnam or whatever, that uh, these are human experiences. You know, it's up to us just to convey that in, a, in, in, a, in, in the best way that we can. And if we do, people who are not like us will also come along. Um, well, that, that kind of leads to the other question we want to talk about, because we, we were reading, um, you know, you, 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 you had a, an opinion piece come out where you were kind of like going at the 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 workshop system and i'm not super familiar with how this works but i know that you know if you're a writer and and for a while i wanted i was like yeah i want to be a short you know a writer too and 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 be like uh, this guy and talk about lobsters and it'll be great and i knew that you the the thing to do was to go through this brutal system of going through a workshop and you need to go to like the uh, you know you need to go to iowa or whatever the fuck it is and do this whole thing and I was like, this must be the way to do it because everybody seems to always talk about it like this. But I would always, I would always hear these stories about how very brutal they were, and they were, and and um, and then I would read the short stories that would come out of these things, and a lot of them would sound kind of the same, and they were good, but they were just kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, angsty. It was like an angsty short story from uh, about a white guy, and he's getting a divorce. I'm like, all right, cool. There's like a million of these stories, but you know, you kind of challenge that. And I wanted to just talk about that a little bit more about like, because, you, you know, your style is very different. There's, I, I, I just noticed a little while ago, you, you don't use punctuations right, you know? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> I just, you know what I'm saying? So oh, like, okay. ha- there are two things that readers disagree with from the sympathizer. Number one, they don't like the squid scene. Okay. Uh, 1% of readers who will not go past the squid scene around page 82 or something. And the other thing is, Hey, why are there no quotation marks in your book? Like no quotations about that, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I don't see any quotation marks when you guys are talking, you're not doing funny ears in the air. I don't see quotation (laughs) marks floating on the screen. These are, okay. So basically these are, these are just conventions. These are rules mm. that we have made up, you know, professors have taught you, teachers have taught you, you've got to use quotation marks. And everybody says, okay, we got to use quotation marks. But there's no real reason for this. Right. And so my mindset is I'm just going to ignore all the rules. I'll take the rules that are useful. I'll break the rules when I want to. And I think this is a sign that you really know what you're doing. Now, if you, if you just break rules because you don't know what these rules are, then you have a lot to learn. But you mm. got to be able to get to the point that you know what the rules and the conventions are of whatever it is you do. And then when you break them, that can be really kind of fun and exciting. Uh, and, I, and I see it all the time with my kid. You know, like he's, he's seven years old. He's learning the rules and everything. But he's also in a state where he does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. That's, that's really creative and, and fun. And a lot of us, when we get to become adults, you know, we've forgotten that part because we've spent right. 10 or 20 years in school learning what to do. So when we get to the workshop idea, now the, the idea of the workshop is kind of democratic. So you put your, your, your short story or your piece of your novel in front of a dozen of your peers and your professor, and they, they give you feedback on that. Theoretically, that can be pretty good, you know, yeah. but what if your peers are dumb 
<laughs> I never understood that part. Like I was like, I, I'm pay, I, if I'm paying a lot of money for a workshop, I want to hear the professor. The professor is an expert. Why am I listening to a dozen people who are no more qualified than I am to give me opinions on on my writing? That's one problem. The other problem is, you know, this goes back to already to the audience question. What if your peers have have are coming from a totally different perspective, worldview uh, than you are? You know, like you know, this whole mm, go, go, right. go again, go back to going back to Aunt Tina jumping from behind the, yeah, the counter yeah. saying, you talk like a GI, you know, I get it. But someone who's never met this kind of obnoxious Vietnamese woman who speaks like a semi-broken English may not get right. it, you know? Yeah. They, and so it's important to have an audience that gets it. And mm. again, if you're Jonathan Franzen and you're surrounded by a dozen Jonathan Franzens, they get it, they understand. Mm. So the workshop can work, but there's so many ways in which it, it just repeats all of the prejudices and inequities that we already know exist in society. It can be really hard for you if you are, you know, here I'm going to use quotation marks, quote unquote, different than the rest of the workshop to get your work understood. And the danger is you come out of the workshop writing, not the, not the story about a white guy getting a divorce, but the story about the Asian guy getting a divorce. Right. Yes. Is that any more, yeah. is that any more interesting? Ah, well, you know me, Mike. You know me, right? I and know. You know, I know. if you know Dude. This, if, if you know anything about me, you know oh, that I'm, uh, out, I'm out there. Yes. I'm out there You're pa- out there. I'm out there pounding. And a lot of people are like, for me, why are you so good at pounding? And by a lot why? of people, yeah. I always ask that. <laughs> yeah. I don't even believe you. By, by a lot of people, I just mean Mike. The secret is, it is Helix Sleep Mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep and pounding. <laughs> Everybody's unique and pounds uniquely and Helix knows that. So they have a different, uh, they have several different mo- mattress models t- uh, to choose from. They have soft, <laughs> medium, and firm. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. Mattresses. Mattresses is great for cooling you down if you get hot. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus slide sleepers because, hey, man, everybody needs love. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Asian. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to the customized mattress that will give you the best sleep slash pound of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for free for 100 nights, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helix.com slash Asian. That's helix.com slash Asian for up to $200 off, and when you're doing your threesomes, Mm -hmm, two mm -hmm. free pillows. Now back to this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's such a good point. Um, I, I think in the in the, in the same article we read about this, you also said something that's kind of related to this, where you had warned white American authors not to abandon their their trendy political engagement in the post-Trump era and go back to white novels about flowers and moons. And I re- we related to this so hard because in comedy, we we always make fun of white comedians because they're always talking about like stop signs and salt shakers that's like that's like you know they're like like you know but it's like that jerry seinfeld style and again to your point about that author like jerry seinfeld is great but it's like me as a japanese immigrant who grew up in ohio like i I gravitate towards people like the dave chappelle's and and the richard priors then jerry seinfeld sort of you know that's like the flowers and moons moons are weird what's going on with moons yeah what's right? going on like, hey you know airlines and, uh, are funny you so know uh. i i just kind of wanted to ask you about that quote that you had because it's like it's something comedians talk about a lot as well 
Well, I mean, like I, I like to be a provo provocateur, right? So it's not that I don't like poems about flowers and moons. And I was quoting a, a, uh, a Palestinian American poet making the same point. And that was her line about flowers and moons that, you know, mm -hmm. she says, you know, I want to talk about the Israeli occupation versus flowers and moons. So there's a time for flowers and moons. It's great. I, I, I do enjoy these kinds yeah, of poems. We love salt shakers. Yeah, I get it. Right. But it's not all the time. And why right. can't we talk about the Israeli occupation? Or why can't we talk about being a Japanese immigrant in Ohio? Uh, why do we always have to sort of, you know, uh, water ourselves down uh, to be to be understood? Or why do we have to imitate somebody else to be to be understood? I would love to hear about the experiences of a Japanese immigrant in Ohio. And I think the point here is that specificity matters. You know, like Seinfeld, his, his comedy is very specific to being this guy in New York City and I grew up like as a refugee kid in San Jose, going to the public library, reading kids books about Manhattan. And I was mm -hmm. like, why am I not yeah. living in Manhattan? I'm living in San Jose. San Jose sucks. It's provincial. Who cares about San Jose? <laughs> I want to be in Manhattan going to do what these kids in New York City are doing. There's nothing wrong with what those kids in New York City are doing, but there's nothing wrong with growing up in San Jose either. But mm. what gets what gets put out before us, you know, so I got no problem with Seinfeld, no problem with Flowers and Moons. But hey, make room for our voices, our specificities, what we want to talk about in the ways that we want to talk about. I'm gonna start crying. That was a beautiful answer. Thank you so much. That was very. That was, that was good. <laughs> and and it, it kind of leads into in, you know now now in, into into the work. So, I mean, just starting from the sympathizer. When I first read this, the whole idea that somebody has two minds and can see from both sides, I think, is such a Vietnamese American thing. Um, when I read it, I didn't know that I was doing, I didn't know that I was this person, you know, but I feel like, especially someone, you know, and, and in the sympathizer, the, the main character ends up living in Southern California for a little bit and all this stuff. And this whole thing about like, I am, you know, uh, both the, 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 uh, the Northern Vietnamese and the Southern Vietnamese. I'm both, the the, uh, um, for the Republic and also a communist and, and to like always kind of also have this paranoia, it was, I it was such a just like a crystallization of the Vietnamese mindset. I wonder how did you even get around to thinking about it like that? Because because to me it just felt like this is how everybody thinks, and I didn't. It took me reading your book to go, oh, not everybody thinks like this. I gave this book to Fumi and go, if you want to understand why I'm like weird like this, read this book because I'm kind of like this character. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, like how did you, because for me, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's like you, you, dis you were a fish and you discovered water. You know, you just realize this is how it is. Whereas for me, I had to read someone tell me about it, you know? So I don't even know how you like kind of process that. How did you even get around to to that insight. Well, you know, when I was, I don't know how you felt growing up, but when, when I was growing up, I, I, uh, I was, my parents are very, very Vietnamese. <laughs> okay, so, oh, yeah. But I, was, I, I grew up as an American. You know, I came here when I was four mm -hmm. years old. So I, I grew up feeling like I was an American spying on these strange Vietnamese people in their house. Uh, you know, uh, Vietnamese. Yes. And, but when I stepped outside of the house, I felt like I was a Vietnamese person spying on these strange Americans and whatever yes. you know, weird oh things they were God. doing. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I love that. Right? Oh my God. Yes. But but no one wants to hear about Viet's life story. Viet's life story is really boring. Okay. So again, if I had gone to Iowa though, or whatever writing yes, workshop, that's exactly. exactly what I would have done. I would have written a a novel about this guy named Viet or somebody like him feeling all this right. angst, but I don't care about that. So I, instead I created a real spy 
who would have basically these kinds of feelings, but you know, they would be much more greatly exaggerated. He would be a, a much more extreme kind of person than I am. And I would put him in much more exciting circumstances like war and refugee experience and all this other kind of stuff. But at the core of it, and this is true for all literature, right? Is that at the core of the plot of all this excitement, you have to have somebody who you can relate to whose yes. feelings are real, whose feelings uh, uh, rhyme with yours, even if, even if they're not exactly the same. But so maybe that's where there's a connection between uh, mm-hmm. what I, what the sympathizer is about and your own experience. The other thing too is, um, you know, the character of Bond, and and he's very sort of blasé about violence which i also find to be a very vietnamese thing especially in the 80s and 90s you know growing up there was a lot of gang violence and there was there's a lot of violence that goes through our culture and uh, i wonder if you could talk about that because sometimes my parents the way they they talk about violence they're so blasé about it you know they're just like yeah i would just you know i saw this guy get killed in front of me or i would kill this guy and and they they say it all the time and then i don't know if that, i i, I came, it took me a while to realize oh parents usually don't talk like this but vietnamese parents seem to be totally okay with violence i, I don't know if you, you have thoughts on that yeah i mean this is not stuff that you can talk about with your average suburban white american person you know because you're like well, first of all, like if, if for, for the majority of the Vietnamese people here in the United States, either they're refugees or they're descended from refugees, you know. Yeah. And if you're a refugee, you went through some kind of horrible experience to get to this country. But everybody did. Everybody went through a horrible experience. So there's nothing right. unique about it. So you just take it for granted. Oh, yeah. You know, we were on a boat or we almost died, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK. But if you tell that to your average suburban white American, they're like, oh, my God, you poor refugee, you know, and uh, they just can't relate to this experience. And likewise, with the violence, I I had the exact same experience. I grew up in San Jose in a Vietnamese refugee community of the 1970s and 1980s. Right. And uh, uh, a lot of bad things happened, you know, and the people that the Vietnamese were most afraid of were uh, other Vietnamese people. Yes. Especially young Vietnamese guys. Home invasions, home invasions, right? And do not yep. ever look a young Vietnamese guy in the eyes. Yes, do, that was a thing. It. Yes, I still don't want to look you in the eye right now because I'm a little afraid of you. So yes, right. You make you make more than a second of eye contact. They're, they're getting your face, and not just them, but yes. they're six buddies too. Okay, at yes. the same time. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of violence, and you know my family was subjected to that. Uh, I had a gun in my face and all that kind of thing. And oh my god. So I, and then I I I you know. I was also always aware that a lot of these older Vietnamese guys were in the army. And you, how could you mm. forget? They were always wearing their military uniforms. To, yes, all the time. Well, the, right? death, yep. the death celebration. Why are you wearing a military uniform to the death celebration? <laughs> yeah, Why are we yeah. having this, you know, militarization <laughs> of, a, of a basically a family friendly holiday? Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But if, if, you know, OK, so I, I always thought that these guys were really potentially really dangerous. Uh because I knew that they were, uh, some of them were trying to, to organize the counter-revolution or the counter-invasion of Vietnam. This was actually a real thing in the mm-hmm, 1980s. Yep. And, I, and when I said they were dangerous, I don't mean to demean them. I mean that that is an aspect of being a soldier, of being a part of the military, of being masculine, that in the United States, we respect in american soldiers you know we we right. like heroicize we lionize american service members we thank them for their service but at the same time uh generally uh, americans demean 
the Vietnamese. You know, if right. you watch a lot of Vietnam War movies or read uh, American books about the Vietnam War, oftentimes the South Vietnamese soldiers come off as clowns. Mm-hmm. But right. I grew up with these people, and I thought they're not probably not clowns. They're probably really kind of they're they're they're. I don't agree with masculinity in the sense, but they're men. You know, they yes. they're soldiers. Yes. They fought mm-hmm. for their country. Mm-hmm. All this kind of stuff. So that violence was always there. Like they probably killed people, and uh, they thought that that was heroic. And so that's what Bond represents. You know, he represents mm. that for a certain kind of masculine Vietnamese man, this was simply what they did, you know, that, that they were dedicated anti-communist killers. And that in a different context, if, if the Vietnamese, uh, the southern Vietnamese had won the war, or at least, you know, at least kept their half of the country, the southern Vietnamese would be making heroic movies about guys like Bond. He would be, mm. you know, Rambo. Yeah, <laughs> yep. he would be Rambo, right? Yeah, and so that's 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 the approach that I had. And the other influence was John Woo movies. John Woo movies. Yeah, you saw these movies in the eighties, like Better Better uh, Better Tomorrow, and so on. Yep. The Killer. It's that violence is is a part of this world, and it's not necessarily bad. You know, good right. guys do violence, bad guys do violence. They're mirror images of each other, and they're they're brothers, uh, despite what sides they happen to be on. And that was a big inspiration for. For Bond and, and the other two blood brothers in this novel, that uh, part of the drama is that they have chosen opposite sides without without and kept it a secret, and they're committed to their beliefs, but they're also committed to their friendships, and the friendships, uh, you know, where blood is thicker than water is going to be where the tragedy lies. And to me, this felt very Vietnamese because, like, so I was in Vietnamese. a gang in the second grade, you know. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. In the second grade, the kids were already the Vietnamese guys were already forming gangs. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Why am I being forced to choose between sides yeah. here? Already, we're in you gangs. Know, so. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'm eight. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm eight. Yeah, are you a crip or a blood or what? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and this is, this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, is like, um, you know, you're, you're talking about Vietnamese things, but you know, I, I'm not Vietnamese, and I didn't. To be honest, we don't have a lot of Vietnamese people in Ohio. There are few, but mainly Chinese and some Korean. And I, I learned a lot about sort of Vietnamese culture and stuff like that through Mike when I met him like, you know, six years ago or so. Um, but, you know, th- through reading this book, like e- even when you're talking about, you know, I felt like a spy for Vietnamese people in school. I think anybody who speaks two languages, that's just automatically your world. You know, like I, I related to the main character in the way that like I went to Japanese school on Saturdays where I was like, kind of popular and then when i'd go to american school people would call me masa ching chong right so it's like i leave the i i literally i live these two worlds for like 16 years and then you start to like you start to compartmentalize the world and you don't really know who you are anymore so i definitely read it to them that way and then i also like how honest you are about you know vietnamese culture or just like uh, it's just i i feel like there's always a human touch to it because for example like in this new book and Mike, sorry for skip, skipping around. You can go no, back no, go to ahead. it. But there's a page where the main character and Bond go to like a um, like a Vietnamese cultural center or something in Paris um, to kind of spy on some of the people from northern Vietnam. And they're like, look, yeah. we're doing like a look, we're doing a lion dance. Or there's some sort right, of the, like dancing culture, thing. Yeah, happening. the culture show is happening. Yeah. Right, right. And then his the the main character's comment is that you know, oh, isn't it interesting that we this thing that we do once a year is considered Vietnamese culture when there, and, you, and you go, you do like a whole page of a roast of Vietnamese people where you just go like, oh, so you're not going to celebrate gambling? Like, what about cheating on your wife or like beating your wife or like whatever? Like, you just list all these things that, you know, yeah. a lot of Vietnamese Smoking people- a lot. not being may, there for your may, children. You may, <laughs> people may do that more on a daily basis, but it's like, you know, when it comes to like, so let's celebrate our culture, we pick the thing that we do 
once every 365 days. And I thought that, I thought that, that page was like very, very relatable to me. And I just kind of wanted to ask you about like, you know, just your thoughts behind that, that, that part of the book. Yeah, I mean, like, so like comedy, and I thought and I wanted that to be funny, you know, but comedy is like partly about making fun of the people who are powerful, right? So you do mm. want to, you want to, you want to punch up, which I think my novels do. They, and, and it's like, it's very important for me to make fun of French, French people and American people and white people and imperialism and colonialism because they deserve yep. it. But yep. comedy is also about making fun of your own people and yourself. And these are, yes. you have to do all of it. You have to do all of it, you know? And uh, it, for those of us who are immersed in any particular culture, in this case, the Vietnamese culture, there's a lot to make fun so of, a lot yes. to make fun of, yeah, oh God. you know, and it's a, I think it's a sign of love to do it. I, I, I don't think, you know, we grow up in traditional households being told to be respectful, keep your mouth shut, uh, you know, put the best face forward outside of the outside of your own house, but then outside of the Vietnamese community, too. And that's great for harmony. And uh, I, I, I and I hope my son does that, too. But comedy is about revealing all the bathroom jokes and all the family secrets and everything it's so if you're not willing to do that you shouldn't be a comedian <laughs> and you probably shouldn't be a writer you shouldn't be an artist period because if you're pulling your punches you're not, you're not gonna be any good um so that that was a really that was the thinking there like yeah. you know at the, mm. at the core of, of of comedy and politics is or political critique is the willingness to be honest the willingness to expose yourself and your own people and the willingness to take on the more powerful. All those things have to happen. Even when I was reading that page, I always think about that because uh, when you say like Japan or Japanese, like because there was such a cultural movement in the 80s, like people just, you know, they're like, oh, anime, sushi, ramen, like electronics. But like when I was reading that page, I'm like, no, there's all these other fucking things that our people do constantly that are more Japanese, including like husbands not being home ever and like going to these like hostess bars that are like mild prostitution, like just not raising their own kids, like, you know, extreme misogyny in the workplace, like where women are wearing, they have to wear pink and guys wear suits. Like that still happens today. These are things that happen every fucking day that nobody thinks about when they say or hear the words Japan. So Totally, just that 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 page. I really just really felt that yeah. one. Well, okay. So I mean, let me add something else here. Like, I mean, part of what I was saying in that page is like, uh, white people never feel the need to put on culture shows. Why is it? Yes, that, yes, yes. Know, the, yes. The, culture. the Asian Americans <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. always have a culture show: the Korean show, the we Filipino do. show, the Vietnamese culture show. Yeah. But uh, and that's because like every day is White Culture Day in the United States, you know. And <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We, what a show. We, we know that everything is white. Everything from the hamburger to the B-52 bomber, to Donald Trump, all this is American culture, right? And we have to, whoever we are, we have to do the exact same thing. We have to, we have to get off this idea that our culture is something that we celebrate one evening out of the year at the Vietnamese Student Association at UCLA Culture Show for our parents. And that is always gonna be about the yeah. Yai and yeah. you know, the fan yeah. dance and the peasant. Fan well, dance. I mean, these college students, most of them, you know, have never actually stepped into a rice paddy in their entire right. life. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, I have. I have been paddy. to a rice paddy. Not a lot of dancing. Yeah, weirdly <laughs> really enough. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And if you're in a rice paddy, you're stepping on on a cow shit. I mean that. But yeah, that's exactly. Not in the culture show, right? So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, we have to be uh, assertive, and we have to like, as as you just said, Fumi, talk about every aspect of our culture. As if, as if, as, as if it's always present, not that like mm. something we have to like elevate to, uh, you know, some kind of icon. 
Uh, yeah, because mm-hmm. that's a that's a sign of weakness. Americans don't have to do that. The French don't have to do that. But the, right. the minority, the immigrant, the refugee, feels like they have to do that every every once a year. Like that's our special day. When yeah. every day should be our special day. Did uh? So I went to the same school as you did. Were you in the Were you in VSA Culture Show? Did you do that? Did they have that? They had that. They had it at every University of California right. campus, as far as I know. I mean, I, I went to right. I attended three: UC Riverside, UCLA, UC Berkeley. There was a culture show at every campus and they were always the same they're always the same uh, did you do any of them did you did you did you do any of the ox dances you know (laughs) no 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 oh they all thought i think everybody thought it was a whitewash so they 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 thought we can't have Viet up here it's gonna no we really can't real yeah he he's he he's an english major what's what's the point of that um i love it uh and i i totally hear you as far as i always think for this podcast and I've, i've only just come to this realization that the job of a comedian, especially, and 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 if this if this podcast is to defend Asian Americans as far as like, hey, you know, don't punch us in the face when we're on the subway, but also at the same time to needle Asian Americans because we're sometimes need to be needled. We need to be like called out on our own shit. And I think like a really good mm. comedian, artist, whatever. You, I don't want to say I'm an artist. I'm just a dumbass. So you know, a- anyone who's <laughs> who's going to do that is going to hold their own uh they're they're in group accountable just as much as they hold other people accountable too so uh that's 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 a banger i love it oh, you, already, um, I, you already have a joke you already have a joke like the anti-asian violence that, that everybody's upset about rightfully we should talk about it but it's, 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 you can actually joke about that you're like you know, hey don't 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 beat up on us because that's our job we're supposed to be there you up go on, on ourselves Viet, look hey i'm telling you man I, you know what you want to go on tour we can get this special going all right we can I will <laughs> let, let open us, for let you us, you know what yeah let us open on your book tour that's not a bad idea yeah i never thought about having a stand-up uh you know <laughs> one, no one we, would, we would bomb in italy we don't we don't we <laughs> can't we do stand-up <laughs> Uh, we are with our uh, amazing guest, Vietan Nguyen. Uh, he's got a book out called The Committed. Um, but the first game we're going to play with him is called Rate My Pulitzer Prize Winner. And so what we did was we went to ratemyprofessors.com and we found him. And by the way, there are many Viet, Nguy- Viet Nguyen's professors. None of them are ethnic studies or English studies majors or, or, or professors. They're all like finance professors, math <laughs> professors. And then, so it was very easy to find you because I was like, there was only one who uh, teaches uh, English. And uh, so we found some of uh, your reviews and the game is we're going to read the, what the person wrote about you. And then you have to guess at a scale of one through five what they gave you. How's that sound? One is the bottom and five is the top, right? One is the bottom, five okay. is the top. All okay. Right. So, okay. So in this first one here, um, this was a while ago. Um, I, I don't know how much you teach because like a lot of these were really old, but this is from 2014. Uh, okay. Pretty solid teacher. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's, That's it? it. That's it. Oh, uh, a three. Yes, there you go. You got it. Perfect. You got a yeah. three, and it does say here average. Uh, that's one of the uh, emoticons, <laughs> I guess, they can put on here. Uh, okay, here's uh, here's another one. Um, okay, here you go. So, oh, okay, this is this will this will be good. This is a very recent one. Uh, if you expect typical history class, don't take this class. You'll read a bunch of weird romance novels, especially if you're a science, business, or foreign student. You will regret it. 
Prof and T are very biased and they think they're the most powerful people. It's not <laughs> like you can it's not like you can learn chain rule in calc and get to no apply. Very subjective subjective class. Okay, so I think this person needs to take the class again for sure. That's the first thing. Um, <laughs> but what do you think? And also, what class uh, is this? <laughs> this is uh, the, my I, I teach a class called the American War in Vietnam, which fulfills a general education requirement. So that means class is 150 students, and approximately 30 percent don't want to be there, at least. Mm. So there's, no, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, like I just I, I try my hardest, and then I think and. There's nothing I can do to reach the 30% of the class who either sits in the back or never shows up in the first place. Yeah, so I, I assume this person uh, gave me a one. Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. You're very perceptive. <laughs> yes. This, and this they, person, gave the, they, they gave you the like awful a, emoticon. <laughs> this is like an international student, though, I think, judging, judging from the grammar, I feel like. I would, I don't I would say so. I and stereotype about my international students, but I do have quite a few. But they, uh, yeah. I, I don't think they're all like that. No, I don't think so either. What is well, what is these weird romance novels you make them read? Are you reading, making them read like, you know, what is that? What did, what did you, uh, you I, I, I have no, see what I'm saying is I don't know if this person ever read more than a page of the books that I assigned because there are no <laughs> romance novels. So the closest that came to it, I mean, we're talking, what do I have them read? I haven't read Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried, Boutonin's The Sorrow of War, uh, Calclea Yang's The Late Homecomer, which if you've never read the book, you might think maybe it's a romance because it has a girl in it. And then Lily Hayslip's <laughs> When Heaven and Earth Change Places, which is, there is romance in that book. That's right. like the only book where there's romance. But mostly it's about war and being refugee. <laughs> here we go. Here, here's, here we'll just do uh, one more. This, is, this will be a tricky one. So I took this class on pass, no pass basis because I knew everything will be graded by my discussion TA, which, w which was so subjective, I think. Professor Nguyen is such a caring professor, but I did not really understand what this course was trying to teach. Not history for sure, though. Oh, and a lot of ridiculous <laughs> reading, my dudes. Ends with my dudes. Here's and, a hint. Uh, Here's a hint. This person rated your class four out of five on difficulty. F difficulty. Oh, wait, yeah. I assume they all. I assume they all rated it like four or five out of difficulty. You know. Uh, well, yeah. So basically, the takeaway is Viet sucks as a professor. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> they seem to like you. Yeah, I got a Mike. Pulitzer. I don't need. I don't need to be a good professor. I got the Pulitzer. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Yo, get that tenure money, baby. Get that tenure Yo, money. What's good? What's good? I'm the chair. Yo. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm going to guess they gave me a three. They gave you a two. They gave you a two. Yeah. Okay. Oh, come on. I, I, I come on. I gave them a C, so it's all, it's all equal. Woo, damn. <laughs> um, okay, so that was our first game. Here's, here's another game. This is a sillier game. Uh, so uh, uh, our guest Vietan Nguyen has a book called The Committed which is the sequel to The Sympathizer uh, and um, so we went on to goodreads.com and I know you hey, don't oh read the, the, the reviews <laughs> you don't read the reviews uh, which is great because we read the reviews and so what we we, we do, I, when I was doing research on this book I found out that there is there are, if you type in The Committed there are two books that come up one is The Committed, your book, and the other one is The Committed Side Chick, which came out, I believe, in 2018. Now, I, I want... I'm, I did yeah. see that book, yes. <laughs> he I saw it, that, but he didn't read it. <laughs> yeah, you don't... You're not... Are you a fan? I'm not sure. Uh, no, no. I mean, it didn't seem like my genre, so it, <laughs> that's... It seemed unfair for me to, to read and to give that a good reads grade. Oh, come on. Fair. Refugees and Side Chicks? Come on. That's, that's, a, that's a good brand for you, man. Um, yeah, and so uh, I'm going to read a review 
and you got to tell me did this review come from a review is this a review of your book the committed or a review of the committed side <laughs> chick <laughs> okay okay <clears throat> um uh let's see here so here we go i hate that i have to wait for part two to come out like i wish they could just tell us what the release date would be this book was so good with all these different characters going through their own issues i was never confused that's it. That's the key giveaway. I was never confused. So that is definitely a review of the admitted side chick. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And uh, yes, so you got that one. Uh, and, and it is true. The committed is uh, confusing, but in an awesome way, where it kind of like when you smoke a whole bunch of sativa and then you're not sure what's going on. That's really what it's like. So if you're a fan of sativa, pick up the book. Uh, okay, here's the other one. And the truth is, I don't like this book. I was so confused half of the time and exhausted uh, in the other half. I'm not saying what I typed below was lying. She goes on and types for a while. It was just an extreme effort to utter out what positive things I could uh, be said about this book without spoiling anything since I saw so many people praising it and I'm scared to be offensive to those people who re have read it. This comes from a Vietnamese, by the way. It's good to see a Vietnamese author with such writing, but also sad because it felt so foreign to me. Dang. Oh, well, think that's this, obviously you, a review of The Committed. Yes, it is. There you go. Are you go. sure? Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Are you sure? You know? <laughs> well, who, maybe, 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 the, maybe, side the side chick, maybe the side chick was Vietnamese. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you know <laughs> the, 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 your worst critics are always your own people, I think. Yes. Mm, that's a good point. Yes. That's a good point. Well, I wanted to ask you, I mean, this is, this is something I wanted to ask before was, did you get a lot of, because when I read this book and, you know, it's, it's called The Sympathizer. It's in red. I couldn't take this home book home with me when I went to go visit my parents. And I was like, Viet, he is going to like, you know, if this was the 80s or 90s, you would have to go into hiding. You know, I mean, did you get a lot of shit from Vietnamese people, who, you know, whether the older generation or whoever, you know, when when this book came out? Well, you have to assume that people read books, which they don't. So oh, I don't shit. think it really matters. You know? <laughs> Double so, shots hey, fired, son. Hey, uh, hey. <laughs> but to the extent that, you know, when they, when they did find out that it was like from the perspective of a communist spy, I think obviously a lot of people said, we're not reading this. And uh, certainly on Facebook and Instagram, and, and uh, I've been called a communist, communist or a commie by Vietnamese people quite a lot. Um, doesn't bother me. Uh, but... but uh, but you know, I, I, I think that um, there are Vietnamese people of the older generation who've actually read the book. And if they're not rabidly anti-communist, a lot of them do seem to get it from the mm. from the re from the reviews that you're not going to read you know, like some <laughs> of that uh, evidence in there but uh, <laughs> but the, the last thing is you know again going back to this idea that your worst critics are your own people yeah I'll never forget the time I went back to San Jose you know this is the homecoming went back to San Jose yeah went to a community college to do an event at the invitation of the community college you know uh and then in the signing line, this older Vietnamese gentleman came up and uh, he was probably like 70 years old. And he just sort of stood there and he sort of, you know, picked up a book, one of my books, looked at it, sneered, put the book back down and said, you don't really know what you're talking about, do you? You know, so in Ooh. Vietnamese, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, but that's to be expected. I think that, uh, I don't know. I, 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 on the one hand, there are, I get a lot of very positive feedback from vietnamese american yeah. people 
and uh, even from people in Vietnam or international students from Vietnam. But then there are always going to be those people who, who are, are pissed off at me for, for one reason or another. This comes with the territory. Yeah. I, I wanted to close with, um, you know, uh, I'm sure you, you saw uh, the, the riots, right? That, the Capitol Hill riots. And then, of course, our people were representing, you know, because, hey, we love diversity, right? So we were, we, you know, it's, it's funny because I'll see the, the, you know, the South Vietnam flag there. And to me, it makes perfect sense. And I know a lot of people are like, why are they there? What's going on there? And I don't know if you had any thoughts about because I, it's it's in a weird way it, it actually made me feel not better but it was interesting seeing that flag because I feel like I understand those people I don't agree with them I get what's going on there and I feel that I might be able to reach them, and talk to them about something, but I don't know if you I don't know what your thoughts are on seeing some, when when you saw some when you saw those flags up uh, at at at, at, uh, at the riot. You know, were you were you were you sort of like you know crestfallen about that? Were you sort of, you know, it is what it is? Or, or and 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 more importantly, do you feel like there's a way to reach those people? Because I feel there there's got to be a way. You know. Wow, you're asking for hope. I'm not good at hope. <laughs> <laughs> you are a comedian. Okay, go ahead. Yes. No, I mean, like, I, I, I don't, I don't think I was surprised to see the flag there, um, yeah. because I'd had a very active Facebook page in the fall of 2020 with like 93,000 people following it, and a lot of them were Vietnamese, and I got into so many fights with uh, really? Vietnamese and Vietnamese American Trump supporters. Yep. Um, and so I already knew that there was a, a very strong support for for Trump in in Vietnam and here in the United States. And they're they're very uh, they're they're very angry, they're yeah. very angry, uh, and they're they're very prone to using, you know, violent foul language, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm. and so of course it was a disappointment to see the Vietnamese flag flying there, but not a surprise, and I think that that can you know there there are a whole bunch of flags flying there, a lot of American flags, a lot of you know Confederate flags and. A lot of like flags whose, whose symbols I didn't really understand, but which are apparently you know signs of white supremacy. And then there were a lot of other countries' flags there too. So the Vietnamese were not the only non-white people there, but I think we yep. were like the largest contingent, as far as I could yep. tell. Or maybe I'm just what? looking at the right Facebook feeds where maybe whole, <laughs> whole van loads of Vietnamese people are all very right. proud and happy waving the Vietnamese flag. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, I think the Vietnamese American community was was caught up in Trump fervor just like 50% of the country was caught up in Trump right. fervor for all the various reasons that we know about. And then that's compounded by at least, at least two things. Uh, one is that, um, you know, Trump support is sort of inevitably tied up with racism and white supremacy and anti-blackness. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I think there's a, a lot of of, of racists in the Vietnamese American community. That's what I heard growing up, you know? Yep. Still hear it. And oftentimes said in Vietnamese rather than English, but nevertheless, right. it's, it's out there. And then the last thing is that I think a lot of Vietnamese Americans who are refugees are deeply patriotic about South Vietnam. Mm-hmm. That's why they wear the military uniforms. That's why they 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 sing the national anthem, wave the the yellow flag at all the Vietnamese events. There's a lot of nostalgia for that lost country and the that that war, 
which has, a, I think, a little bit of similarity to how some Americans feel a lot of nostalgia for the Confederacy and feel like they they lost uh, a just cause and that right. that's why they can still wave the Confederate flag. And so there's that too, that sense of, uh, you know, no, uh, uh, that sense of, 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 of defeat and anger and pride and the desire to take things back. Right. Right. Damn, dude. Fumi, do we, uh, do how, 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 how what do you think? Are we, are we almost done here? Yeah, I think we're done. Okay. We were supposed to we were well, supposed to end with a funny game, and then Mike brought up a really sad thing at the end. So right. I was like, well, oh, I, I, gotta, well, I, gotta, I just can't, I, I just had so many things to talk. To. I have so many more things we could talk about. I mean, you, I cannot uh, believe you guys you guys asked me about peeing, but you didn't bring up the squid in the sympathizer. It just seems like you know it was so funny. Our producer, with. our producer was like. <laughs> She was doing research on it. And she's like, "Oh, is it true that he's got a uh, he's got a chapter about fucking a squid or something?" <laughs> the sympathizer. That's like I that's do. like the only you part do. she read. You do. I, it, you Let's know what? End on that note. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, maybe. Fine. All right. Honestly, you want to talk? I, I, hey, I don't want to have the last word to Vietnamese trumpets on this show. Okay, fine. Let's, <laughs> let's, you want to talk about the last fucking? word to having sex squid to squid fucking? Yes. Okay. And let me just right. say it's semi autobiographical, not completely autobiographical. And you know what? I understand, and I understand for you that must have been like an anti-colonial message to the Japanese because you're fucking a piece of sushi. And I get that. That was a political message, Viet. And I, I get it. And I, I, I respect I think it. it's a step above that moment in the movie Rising Sun where like the Japanese evil guy eats sushi off a white prostitute's body. Now that's just racist, okay? <laughs> right, yes, but, yes. Uh, in this case, uh, a Vietnamese guy, teenager, losing his virginity to a squid is i think a sign of love for vietnamese food more than anything you're right. else the, the yeah. stuffed squid he hey. stuffs the squid in more ways you ever, than fuck a, you ever fuck your food you ever fuck your food you're okay you just think about that all right he added, he's, adding also, his own, he's adding his own spices on it and that's, what that's I, a great thing what, what i love is too is exactly what happens and then of course he feeds it to his own family <laughs> <laughs> all right well okay uh, okay Viet's, uh netflix special is coming out uh pretty soon so be sure to check that out if you love things like squid yes. fucking and trump supporters uh <laughs> it'll, it'll be great that's, but, actually um, the name, that's actually the name of his special it's called trump supporters and squid fucking so check squid, that out squid fucking on netflix this sure. summer um, um well Yep. Thank yeah. Thank you so much for doing this uh, podcast. Thanks, you know, this has Thanks, been amazing. Guys. If I had to rate you on rate my podcast, <laughs> hey, you get one point five. Sorry, one point five <laughs> is what you guys would get. Honestly, uh, that's a lot better than we thought. So that's totally fine. That's uh, very Viet, true, what, actually. What do you want our fans to know about you? Where can they get the book? Do you have anything cool things coming up uh, that they would like to uh, that you like to yeah, share with them? Where can they find you, etc. I'm on virtual book tour, which means I'm appearing in a dozen places from my from my office right, where I'm doing this podcast. So you can catch hey. me at all those places. And the uh, committed is out. And uh, I don't know. That's that's basically about all I'm doing with my life right now, and appearing on your podcast. There you Hell go. Oh yeah, everybody. Yeah. Get, a, get a copy a of the committed. <laughs> I've been drinking a lot, a lot. What do you? Absolutely. Okay, that's a, that's a whole other section I wanted to talk about too. But I mean, you know, like. I, I always see that you. I, I've watched a, a, a couple of your other. Uh, you you had one. Was it with D, DVA, DVN or DVAN? Is that like an organization? Diaspora Vietnamese Artist Network. I do a show called Accented Dialogues in the Diaspora, and we always have cocktails there. There you go. By the way, I'll give a shout out to our our resident mixologist. Find her on Instagram, Mixaphoria with a ph, 
and she has great cocktails that we use for our show. And uh, I've just been, you know, ordering from her actually. So she'll deliver cocktails to my door. Wow, there you go. Well, you should probably also see someone about that. So um, <laughs> possibly, <laughs> possibly good. Okay. But, uh, thank you so much for having us. Uh, you know, the book is amazing. It's called The Committed. Please, please check it out. Please check out uh, Viet's work. Um, I think you're good. Yeah, you're, you're going to do all all sorts of uh, of fun stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, can yeah, we man, hang out like, sometime? I'm I don't... from your podcast to Seth Meyers in about a week. So there you hey, go. Oh, hey, hey, we scoop yeah. Seth Meyers though, son. You know What's what? good? Hey, <laughs> hey, don't don't knock us, bro. We're gonna have our own show soon, and then hey, we'll see if we'll book you again. Okay, we shall <laughs> we shall we see. Your own show. We shall Absolutely. see. We shall well, see. Uh, thank you very much, man. Thank you very much, listeners. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Check out check us out on Instagram at Asian Asian Pod. I'm also on there at the Fumi Abe. That's T H E F U M I A B E. And you can find me on Instagram at Nice Pants Bro. Check out our stand-up comedy show, Hack City, every other Friday. The next one will be March nineteenth, and the one after is uh, April second. And then, if you join the Patreon, we've got a uh, Patreon exclusive hangout happening on um, March twelfth. So definitely check us out at Patreon.com/slash/AsianNotAsianPod. Uh, Viet, this is super awesome. Thank you guys so much. And uh, Anals, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.